So in week one, I I told you about a man named Moses and how he murdered another man, how he ran and hid in the desert for 40 years until God met him there and spoke to him through a burning bush. It says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people who are in slavery, and I want you to go back and to lead them out of slavery. Then last week I told you about how Moses went back and he led the Israelite people out of Egypt. I told you about how they crossed the Red Sea and as they stood on the banks of the other side and watched their oppressors be washed away by the Red Sea as it closes in on them. I told you about the first worship song that they sang. They they begin to sing, The chariots of fear have been thrown into the sea, and the God of all creation has set us free. But like all worship songs, it had to come to an end. So then what? Then what happened? They danced, they sang, but for how long? What did they do next? At some point, God took them and turned them saying, now go. We like to tell stories about grace. We like to tell how we've been freed from our sins, how we've been freed from this personal slavery, maybe of addiction. And we tell how we were freed from our personal Egypt. But grace isn't so much about being freed from something. It is also about being freed to something. It is about being freed to live a profoundly new life. We have this picture of Egypt in our minds, which is slavery. And the Red Sea, which is this beautiful picture of redemption. And from the Red Sea, we're headed to the promised land. But between the Red Sea and the promised land, there's this place called the wilderness. You see, in the Gospels, when Jesus, we see that Jesus was baptized, and it says that the clouds opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and said, This is my Son, whom I love, for whom I am well pleased. And immediately, Jesus is taken and tested. Where is he taken? To the wilderness where he's tested for 40 days by Satan. How many years was it that the Israelites were in the desert? 40 years. Not so much a coincidence. So what is the wilderness? It's training school. It's training ground. It's the training school where your identity is tested. As Jesus is in the wilderness and fasting, Satan tests him. If you are the son of man, prove it. If you're the son of God, you show me. If you are who you say you are, tell me. It's identity school. Show me who you are. Tell me who you are. Some of you, you may find yourself 
in the wilderness. You find yourself wondering, has God left me? Has He abandoned me? But the truth is, in the Scriptures, it tells us that in Deuteronomy chapter 1, that from the Red Sea to the Promised Land was only 11 days' journey. 40 years. 11 days. Something's wrong. The truth is, you can't microwave your faith. Because you see, the Israelites, they weren't ready for the promised land. They had to go through the wilderness before they could get to where they were meant to be. God just wasn't trying to free his people from Egypt. He wanted to free Egypt from his people. He wanted to take Egypt out of his people. This last week we looked at what they do. As soon as they got to the first obstacle, it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. So he literally has to take them through the difficult things in life to get Egypt out of them. When you were a kid, who was it that you wanted by your side when you went through something scary or difficult? Now, I know some people, it is like their mom. But for a lot of people, it's their father. They want to know that their father is close by. The Israelites could have been to the promised land in 11 days. But instead, they spent 40 years, just to give you perspective, roughly 14,610 days. Wandering around while God desired for them to trust Him. Three days after the Israelites leave the Red Sea, they're walking in the wilderness and the desert, and it's hot. And they're thirsty. Scholars believe that there were roughly two million of them walking toward the promised land. This wasn't a small group. It was a big group. And they didn't have anything. They had themselves, their families, their neighbors. And that was it. But someone looks out and they see this oasis and call out, water! Well, immediately they have an expectation in their mind. That when they go and they taste this water and they drink it, it's going to taste a certain way. Their body's going to react a certain way. It's going to feel like nourishment to their bodies. 
The expectation is that the water is good. They get there, they drink the water, and the reality is the water is bitter. See, the thing is, every one of us has expectations. We have an expectation that we should get the raise. We have an expectation of how other people should treat us. We have an expectation about what should happen and what shouldn't happen in worship on Sunday mornings. But the reality is, but what happens when our expectations are so far from reality? You see, the middle ground between our expectations and reality is where our bitterness, our frustration, and our anger live. It is in this place in the wilderness that God is testing you. You see, the question becomes, will you be bitter or will you be better? From the place of Marah, where they find this bitter water. Marah literally means bitter. From there they travel and God takes them to the place called Elam. It's this beautiful place with 70 palm trees and, and 12 wells filled with sweet water. Each of the 12 tribes were able to sit and rest in the midst of the wilderness. For those of you in the wilderness right now, resist the temptation for bitterness. Trust God that He has a plan. Trust that God is better. Trust God for better. From Elam, they travel in the desert to the desert of sin, which is the place between Elam and Mount Sinai. Guess what happens there? the Israelites begin to grumble and complain. They were in the desert. They were thirsty. They cried out to God, and what did He do? He provided water. But it doesn't take very long in the desert before they forget about what God has already done, and they start grumbling and complaining all over again. And they even say, we wish we could go back to Egypt. They look back on the past and remember all the great things. You know, the great things of being in slavery. But here's where we rationalize. This is where we tell ourselves these rational lies. We only tell ourselves part of the story. And we blow it up and make it seem so much bigger than it actually is. Because it's not the full story. So they complain to Moses, and Moses cries out to God, and God says, I'm going to show my people that I care about them. That I am not like Pharaoh and only use them. But I'm going to provide for them, and I'm going to make it rain bread. When morning came, it rained bread In the morning. And when they went out in the morning, they literally said, What is it? 
which means manna. So they didn't get creative on what they called it. They literally walk outside their tent and they said, what is it? And they went and collected it and gathered it. But they could only collect what they needed for that day. Because if they collected any more than that, it would rot. God even says that it'll be filled with maggots. Trust God to provide. I heard a story about a little boy that was adopted. And he was hiding food in his room. The parents didn't know it. They would walk into his room and it smelled horrible. At first, they're like, this is a boy's room, all right. You know, this is, this is like nasty. You want to smell nasty? Go to the football team's locker room. Like, it is hideous. It's horrible. Like, I have to change clothes after morning practice because if I walk through there, I smell like that locker room for the rest of the day. I mean, it's like this big cloud of stink. It's horrible. His room stunk. They would clean his room up. They would find all his laundry and stuff, and they would, you know, clean it. And they'd go back in, and it still stunk horribly. And so they watched him carefully. Like, they watched, like, every movie made. And they realized that at dinner, he wasn't eating his food. He was actually putting it in his jacket and in his pockets, taking it back to his room and hiding it in his room. Because you see, this boy was adopted from a third world country where when he got food, he had to fight his siblings for it. He had to fight his parents for it. Because he was the, the youngest, and so he was the last one to get food. And see, he couldn't trust his family where he was from. He didn't know that he could trust his new mom and dad. And he had to learn to trust them. He had to learn that you don't have to hide food from them. Because every morning you will get food. When you go to school, you will get food. When you come home, you will get food. He had to learn to trust God. What the dad did was only a thing I think God could have put in his heart. He takes the son by the hand and he takes him to the pantry. He opens the door. He kneels down and he looks beside his son. And he points to the food. He said, you see all that? All of that is yours. Anytime you want it, it's yours. You're ever hungry? Don't hide it. It's yours. And that's what God does to us. We think we have to hide our feelings. We have to hide who we are. We, we have to be something that the world or our, our community tells us we have to be. 
But no, stop crying, people. He says, it's yours. This great life you want to have, stop looking at all those things. Stop trying to store up for another day. It's already yours. All you have to do is trust me. God tells the Israelites six days work. But on that seventh day, trust me that you don't have to work. Because I want that seventh day to not be about you. Because I want that seventh day to be about you resting. So that you can rely on me. So that you can let me provide. So that you can let me show you that when I open the cupboard, it is yours. Because on that seventh day when they woke up, Manna was still on the ground. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, Man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from my mouth, from the mouth of the Lord. That we can't live just on the things that the world provides for us. We need God, we need to hear from our Father. Manna tasted like honey. Later on, a rabbi would gather together a group of kids and he would begin to just coat their hands with honey the kids would lick it and the rabbi would ask, what does it taste like? They would reply, it is so sweet. It would be like giving Skittles to a kid for the first time. The the rabbi would take the scriptures and say to them, the word of God is sweet like honey. But it doesn't just feed the cravings of the body, it feeds the soul. And it was in the wilderness that the Israelites had to learn these things. It's in the wilderness that you and I have to learn these things. From the desert of sin, he takes them to the place called Rephdim, which means the resting place. And guess what? the Israelites begin to grumble because they had already forgotten about how God had provided the water and how God had provided the food in the morning. And they begin to grumble. And in desperation, Moses cries out to God again. And in Exodus 17, verses 5 and 6, it records God's response to Moses says, the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff 
which you stuck in the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out. And for the people to drink. They couldn't grasp what God was doing in their lives. God to continually show them blessings. He had to continually show them miracles that he would provide. Not only did he provide manna in the morning, but he provided quail at night. More food. More provision in the wilderness. But you know, like you and I, the people of Israel needed someone to blame. Moses was the one they typically blamed. They typically blamed him for all of their lack because, hey, you took us out of Egypt. Now you need to do something. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us that this rock that was struck had a name. You see, that name was Jesus Christ. You see, Exodus 17 isn't an accident. Once again, Exodus is a foreshadowing of the gospel. Think about the gospel of John in the final chapters. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what does he say? I am thirsty. I'm thirsty. Who has been crying out that they are thirsty? The Hebrew people. Who has been crying out that they are thirsty and longing for meaning and purpose? Humanity. We're crying out that we're thirsty. But you see, when Jesus said, I am thirsty, he was talking about who he was. He says that I am the living water. If you you come to me, I I will give you so much more than, than just the water that nourishes the body, but I will nourish the soul. Jesus says that I'm gonna gonna come down and I'm going to let evil strike me. I'm going to let evil strike me, and and I'm going to take a blow. And and then you will see that when they hit me, that out of me will come living water. 
I will once again show you that you don't have to thirst because I'm opening up the cupboard and saying, it's all yours. Think about that. If God's willing to do that in the wilderness of your life, what is he willing to do when we're in the promised land of life? But we don't make it to the promised land because we are so stuck in the wilderness because we don't see the lesson that he's trying to teach us. Because we're too busy grumbling and complaining about our circumstances. We're too busy blaming other people that we miss the point of it all. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm convicted like crazy this morning. Because I don't feel like we are where we're supposed to be. We're not pursuing the promised land. We're stuck in the wilderness, crying like, and grumbling like little babies. Because we think Egypt is better. We're so worried about where we came from that we lost sight of where we're supposed to be going. We've lost sight of what we're supposed to be doing. It's difficult to stand up here and give a message every Sunday when I, when I know what's going on. I've lived it. I've stressed about it. I'm honestly surprised I don't have an ulcer yet. I probably do and don't even know it. Who knows? But I'm literally letting something consume me. And I find myself this morning saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I don't want to stay here. I know there's something better. I know we're supposed to be doing something more. What is it? But what I do know is that we have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Encouragement, no. The encouragement is that when you go through the wilderness, the promised land is on the other side. That's what it's about. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? There's a part of me that's not. I feel like I've been stuck in pastor limbo for more than a year. And I've used it as an excuse. Now, if you would have asked me that yesterday, I would have never said that. But I have. I've used it as an excuse to not do anything. 
that needs to change for me. It needs to change for all of us. It's time for us to not be afraid of the wilderness. It's time for us to walk through the wilderness expecting God to move. It's time for us to open the doors of the cupboard and look at what he's saying. It's all yours. Trust me. It's what he's saying to each one of us. And you know the thing is, take out my situation and input your Egypt. Because I'm sure that there are a lot of us that can take out my situation and just put your situation right in and it applies. So when I use my example, I'm not saying that's what we should be thinking about and that's what we should you know, focus on. No, put yourself in this. What is God saying to you this morning? Is that wilderness is there for a reason. Trust me and walk through it. So that you can see what I created you for on the other side. So you can live into the beauty of life. You know, I'm thankful this morning for being able to give you an example that I am not up here because I am awesome and great and, you know, I've got everything together. I, in my opinion, I cry way too stinking much. I, I, I look at back at the videos and I'm like, man, you're a blubbering baby. It's like, what in the world? But you know, I hope that I can be an example to other men that it's okay to cry. I hope I'm an example to you that it's okay to be vulnerable. Because if you ask Jennifer, she knows I don't want to tell you any of this stuff. I don't want you to know how I feel. I don't want you to see me as weak. I want to be the, the leader that everyone looks to that, you know, I have all the right answers, but I don't. I want to be the example that when I say this should be a place where it's okay to be how you feel, don't change how you feel just because you walked into a church and there's an expectation that you have to put on a smile and, and be chipper. Oh, let me be an example. It's okay to be broken. Because you know, as I stand up here and I, I teach and I preach on Sunday mornings, it's not in my my spiritual wonderfulness that I speak, it's out of my brokenness that God is able to speak through me. And I praise God today for my brokenness because that is the church. Not just because of a situation. No, that's literally humanity's situation. We're broken. 
but we expect other people that we look at to not be broken. Like they, they don't have an excuse to be as broken as us. But you see, we're all a bunch of broken people with expectations how things should be. And I'm learning as a pastor that it's okay for your expectations to be different than mine. It's okay for us to be different. It's okay for us to feel different. But what matters is in our differences, can we still love each other? Can we still care for each other? Can we still look at each other and say, you know what? You are broken. And it's okay. Because it's when you realize you're broken that you can allow Jesus to put you back together. Stand with me. If you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you for the power and the beauty of your love. God, we're all wandering in the wilderness of life. We've all got expectations. We've all got our grumbling. But God, help us to see you standing with your arm around us, pulling open the doors of the cupboard. And with the wide eyes of a young child who's never seen so much food, hear the words of our Father saying, It's all yours if you just trust me. God, help each and every one of us today to trust you. We thank you, Jesus, for so much more in that cupboard than we could ever imagine. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.